Show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day. And yes, as President Reagan once said a long time ago, a time for choosing. A time for choosing, particularly for the Republicans in the House of Representatives. They're not only going to be choosing a new speaker, they have to make a fundamental choice between fantasy and reality. Uh, that is the point made in a, a very significant and it seems to me insightful piece by David Frum. David is a uh, writer at the Atlantic magazine. He's the author of 10 books, including national bestsellers. He was a speechwriter for President George W. Bush, and uh, he has been a uh, theorist and an advocate for conservative principles for a long time. Uh, his new piece is called uh, GOP Fantasy Collides with Reality. What is the most dangerous, in your opinion, David Frum, the most dangerous of the GOP fantasies? Well, the most immediate one they have is is the one that led to the fall of Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. The, the Republican problem was they had a five-seat majority um, in a caucus where about two dozen people strongly personally objected to Kevin McCarthy, didn't trust him, um, didn't like him, were um, off on adventures of their own. Um, McCarthy insisted on governing as if he had a majority when he didn't have a majority. Um, he, he just thought people would fall into line. And so he wrote, made a lot of promises to a lot of different people. He made promises to his enemies within the Republican Party. He made promises to his Democratic counterparts. And he broke the promises because he wasn't able to honor them. Um, and the core problem here was uh, Republicans had a very bad election in 2022. Uh, they, they lost the Senate seat. They lost two governorships. They lost four state houses. But they did pick up, or they flipped the majority in the House of Representatives, and that led them to think, aha, we're in charge. Well, they weren't, and they needed to take on board that they weren't. And you mentioned that there is a, a fantasy that a very high percentage of Republicans believe that President Trump won the election in 2020. Uh, that's yeah. a, a fantasy that needs to go away, isn't it? Yes, that's a, they're all the same problem. Look, um, that when they, I don't think people, Republicans have taken on board that they have been losing since 2016. Trump uh, in, in, in 2016 uh, wins the Electoral College, but he gets a smaller share of the vote than Al Gore or John Kerry or Mitt Romney, barely more than Michael Dukakis got in 1988. Then in 2018, Republicans lose the House. Then in 2020, Trump loses the election outright. Then in 2021, they lose the Senate. Then in 2022, they have this bad year up and down the ballot. And this is a moment we say, you know, we, we need to learn something from this. What we're selling, people aren't buying. But instead, Republicans keep pressing. And, and then they put their leaders in this position. I mean, not Donald Trump or something like that, because he's, he's on his own agenda. But a leader like McCarthy who says, I can't make deals with anybody. I certainly can't honor deals because I can't, my backbenchers won't let me keep them if I do make them. Yes. So the question becomes, uh, with a new speaker who will probably uh, be Steve Scalise of Louisiana, it could be Jim Jordan of Ohio, 
But with any new speaker that the Republicans have, uh, what do they do to put reality above fantasy? Well, basically, the next speaker has two choices. Uh, choice number one is he, uh, he goes to Matt Gates and says, look, I'm going to be a personal chauffeur, concierge, shushan boy. You, you give me an order. I carry it out. Uh, your whim is my command. Uh, you're in charge. Anything you say goes. And, and do that to the, the three or four other hotheads and, and just say whatever it takes to make you happy. Um, do you like cocoa in the morning? Uh, the other solution, and the, the more dignified and the more practical, is uh, to uh, go to the Democratic caucus and say, I'm going to need to borrow two dozen votes every once in a while to organize the House. Um, I'm going to need, to, uh, I'm gonna need uh, about two dozen votes on the debt limit. I'm going to need two dozen votes on continuing resolutions. Um, is there something you want from me in return for those two dozen votes that I can borrow on occasion to organize the House? Not on policy, because we're going to fight on that. Maybe we'll win, and we'll try to pick off your members opportunistically, but on the basic questions of running the government. Um, and that was McCarthy always said he wouldn't do that. Well, that's why he had to be Matt Gates's shoeshine boys because he would never accept. He had five votes majority, ten of them were people he couldn't trust. He needed to make the deal with the other side, and he needed to um, overcome the Republican taboo that says you can never work with Democrats on anything. Okay, you look at uh, uh, President Biden right now, and the numbers are just terrible on issue after issue after issue. It's almost two to one on the economy, two to one on crime, two to one on immigration, where people disapprove rather than approving of Joe Biden. What do you say to those Republicans who say, look, we may be having a tough time now, but we're coming up to what is going to be just a sweeping victory for conservative principles and for Republican candidates. So we just have to wait it out. I would say, remember the, why the red wave didn't show up in 2022. You guys are all confident that you were going to have, because you had these similar kinds of numbers in 2022. And what you, what you never understood was, look, polls are very cryptic. Ask a silly question, get a silly answer. The, public, the question the public hears is not necessarily the question you think you're asking and not necessarily the answer you're getting. So those same polls that show the Republicans on, with advantage on issue after issue show Biden ahead of Trump. So one way to read those polls is the country is saying, you know what, Republicans, uh, we're with you on crime, border, all these things, economy, yeah. Uh, All you have to do is dump that guy at the top of the ticket, and we're yours. But if you insist on that guy at the top of the ticket, we're not going to get past that. And I mean, Republicans have this idea that the only thing wrong with Trump is that he's a little intemperate in the social media presence. And they, they need to reckon with that by a margin of 8 million votes, the country in 2020 said he is profoundly unacceptable. And trying to overthrow the government in 2021 didn't make him more acceptable. And being indicted and probably on his way to a life in prison if, if he doesn't pardon, win the election and pardon himself, that makes him less acceptable. So uh, Republicans have to – there's a choice here. Choose your policies or choose your person. If you, if you go with the person Donald Trump, you sacrifice the policies. If you want to uphold the policies, you're going to have to sacrifice the person of Donald Trump. And you should have thought of that earlier in the cycle when there were choices. Now there are fewer choices. Um, and if you, but if you follow this guy, it doesn't matter what, what, what people think of your economic policy. Trump is unacceptable to the majority of Americans. Okay, don't you believe that a Biden health emergency would be more damaging to his campaign than even multiple convictions for President Trump in his court cases? I, I can't answer. Who knows? 
I'll just note that uh, President Eisenhower had, I think, one major heart attack before the election of 1956, and and at least one major heart attack before 56, and he got reelected anyway. Um, you know, the, uh, the question is, um, I, I think the issue of Biden's health. I mean, obviously, it weighs on people's assessment of him. It makes people jumpy and nervous, um, but it doesn't. It's not, I think, it, it, I think people make a decision in advance that Trump is acceptable or not. I mean, the thing about Biden is he really is the blandest possible choice. And uh, the people who like it, he's not the opposite of Trump. There isn't like some Biden caucus out there. There aren't millions of people cheering Joe Biden. Biden's voters are saying he'll do. He's better than the alternative. Trump's voters are saying we love Trump. We want Trump. The problem is that more people with Biden saying our guy is acceptable and the other guy is not. And Trump voters saying we love Trump. And uh, that we will see what happens. Uh, David Frum's piece about uh, GOP fantasy collides with reality. It concludes uh, very eloquently, as you might expect. Uh, either Republicans will overcome their taboo against reality and find some way to strike deals with their opponents. Or voters in November 2024 will replace this dysfunctional majority that lives by lies with a functional majority that can work with facts. We'll continue working with facts coming up on The Medved Show. Is that interesting? Yeah. The Michael Medved Show. It's so cool. And on the Michael Medved show, there is a piece uh, that appeared in the Wall Street Journal. And uh, it's a taking a look at those Americans who are going to decide the election for president. And basically asks, who are these folks? What do we know about them? And uh, Americans don't want the next election to be a rematch of the last one. Nearly three quarters say President Biden is too old to run again. That's according to Wall Street Journal polling. Uh, more than half say that Donald Trump, his likeliest challenger, took illegal steps to try to reverse his 2020 election loss. And yet most rec uh, voters say their choice for president is already locked in and it's settled. If uh, their options are Biden and Trump, it does leave a chunk of voters who say they couldn't decide between Biden and Trump. How many? 26% who are up for grabs or persuadable. Uh, those voters are conflicted. They don't think Biden is doing a good job, but they dislike some of Trump's personal qualities and his record. They have a sour view of the economy, but favor abortion rights. The findings from the journal poll give clues from uh, to each party uh, how they will try to reach these voters in the coming months. The most significant thing, it seems to me, is that uh, of uh, voters in general, the people who are undecided are even more overwhelming in believing the country is going in the wrong direction. Only 11% of the persuadables believe the country is going in the right direction. And uh, meanwhile, 39% of the persuadables describe themselves as moderate. 
And uh, that is a far more than the rest of the voter pool who are see themselves as liberal or conservative rather than uh, moderate. Uh, the uh, job approval of the people in the middle who are undecided, job approval for Biden is very negative. It's uh, seven, uh, by, they disapprove 10% uh, more than uh, even the nation at large. So it's a challenging landscape for uh, for President Biden, and that challenging landscape, which becomes more and more clear, uh, is the result of a piece in Washington Monthly. Uh, it's by Jonathan Alter, and uh, he he begins the piece by saying, "I've gone back and forth on whether to write this piece, which is an interesting way to get your attention." One day I'd wake up and say to myself that Joe Biden is a good president, but since I first covered him in 1988, he has always been a lousy presidential candidate. And the Democrats must nominate someone younger who can actually beat Donald Trump. The next day I'd wake up and say to myself, it's too late. If Biden had declined to run at the beginning of the year, as I urged, things could have been different, but now it's a fait accompli and we need to suck it up and accept that he's the nominee. And then he writes, I finally decided it is only too late if we accept the lunacy of the endless American campaign season. In almost every other country, campaigns last 60 to 90 days. Why not here? The truth is the last chance to get in the race is December 8th the filing deadline for the first big primary in Michigan. While it would be terrible for the party and country for someone to challenge Biden in bloody primaries, this is historically harmful for the party of the incumbent, a statesmanlike withdrawal in the next few weeks would allow time for aspirants on the talented bench of the Democratic Party to jump in and create an exciting, energizing campaign about the future. And uh, he then creates a fantasy where a bunch of very distinguished Democrats, including Nancy Pelosi and uh, Hillary Clinton and uh, Barack Obama, uh, they all, Chuck Schumer, they all get together with Biden and try to persuade him not to run. And it's an imagined conversation. This hasn't actually happened, but Jonathan Alter believes that it should happen. And uh, the, uh, it, it includes uh, excerpts of arguments by these imaginary people. Uh, Nancy Pelosi saying, none of us think you're out of touch, Mr. President. We all think you've been a great leader. The question is whether you're a great candidate and the best person to beat Trump. And, uh, and then they quote Biden as saying, I'm beginning to neutralize the age issue on the stump by saying, I'm 600 years old. And that always gets a big laugh. And then it uh, has Barack Obama saying, I wish the humor neutralized it, Joe. I really do. And uh, it quotes Chuck Schumer as saying, it's early, but these numbers aren't fluid. 
even after a ton of solid ads for you in the last few weeks, around three-quarters of likely voters think you're too old, and nearly 60% of Democrats want another candidate. How do you turn around the bad numbers on youth, on youth turnout? They are really consistent. And it goes on. And this is a, a very real problem and none of the distaste that uh, surrounds what is going on in the House of Representatives, and there probably will be a bitter and perhaps even nasty race concerning the new speaker, uh, none of that is going to neutralize the deep problems with Biden's record and with his advancing age. Uh, and. And again, the attempt to blame the Democrats for what went wrong in the House of Representatives for the demise of Kevin McCarthy. Chris Wallace made an important point on CNN. And uh, we will get to that. Uh, we'll also get to Hillary Clinton delivering her verdict, such as it is on McCarthy. And uh, we will be uh, taking uh, a look at what does this election and all of the chaos and confusion uh, mean for people who are watching from abroad. We'll also be reviewing a new movie about someone who probably is itching to come back to politics. Who is it? Uh, we'll get to that and much more coming up on The Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show. All across America. It's open, it's expansive, it's welcoming, it's filled with light. This is The Michael Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. That's 1-800-955-1776. Michael Medved show with all of the echoes and reverberations and uh, tidal waves that have been created by the removal of Kevin McCarthy as the Speaker of the House of the United States, third in line for the presidency, by the way. Not anymore. Right now that seat is vacant. It is held by a Speaker pro tem. Uh, Patrick McHenry, who's a member of the House from North Carolina and considered someone who's very much a mainstream Republican rather than a, um, a, a MAGA enthusiast. But uh, uh, the idea that it was a revolt of uh, Trump supporters and Trump loyalists that got rid of McCarthy is simply not true. And there are two points that I want to make as far as that is concerned. I mean, the most obvious point is that there were only eight Republicans out of 222 in the House of Representatives who voted to remove Kevin McCarthy. Eight. And it was Matt Gates and company. Uh, one of those who voted to remove... Kevin McCarthy was Representative Tim Burchett of Tennessee, 
who told uh, Jen Palmieri on the show The Circus uh, how he felt after his vote was one of those crucial eight that brought down the speakership of Kevin McCarthy. Listen. The leadership is probably not thinking that you're going to be a problem. They're probably thinking you're going to vote to... My thought was, you know, do I trust my conscience? You know, and, and I prayed about it. And honestly, I slept like a baby last night. I slept like a baby last night. And Kevin McCarthy called me this morning. And the first thing he said was something I thought was very condescending. What about, did he say? Just about, you know, well, were your prayers answered? Something? I don't know. To me, it just it just said right there. I said, I said, well, you've you've answered you've answered it right there. And I remember after I hung up with him after it was kind of heated towards the end, I, I said, thank you, Lord. You gave me my answer. It maybe wasn't the one I wanted, but it was the right answer. Okay, again, uh, putting putting your country first or your party first, uh, probably more uh, more advantageous for uh, the immortal soul of uh, Congressman Burchett and the others who are involved there. As I mentioned, there were two things. Uh, one of them is that this was a small number of Republicans. But it was a very large number of Democrats. And if there had only been a 10 of the 212 Democrats in the House of Representatives, a 10 who had voted present, said, we're, we're not here, that, uh, uh, that would have saved McCarthy as well. But Chris Wallace... Um, made the point on CNN that it's not the job of Democrats to save a Republican speaker. I, uh, I question that proposition, but here's Chris Wallace. Do you think that they share some blame here? The Democrats? No, it's not their job to save the Republican speaker. I mean, can you imagine if Nancy Pelosi was in trouble uh, back when she was speaker and... <laughs> They were counting on Republicans to bail her out. Yeah, I mean, no, there was, not there, in a million years. Yeah, there was there's plenty of legitimate bad blood between Republicans and Democrats. Remember, it was uh, Kevin McCarthy who, right after January 6th, said that uh, Donald Trump was responsible uh, for what had happened on that terrible day. And then a couple of weeks later, he was down in Mar-a-Lago kissing the former president's ring. So uh, I, there was not a lot of love lost between the Democrats and Kevin McCarthy. And not to say that they were going to oust him, but they certainly weren't going to save him. But why not? If the interest of the country is involved, that this is more than a student body election, if it's about more than how do you feel or which kids are the most popular or who you want to honor, come on. Uh, Kevin McCarthy had just done something noble and important uh, in helping the country uh, overcome a uh, government shutdown, which would have been devastating. And we still have that threat. And Kevin McCarthy was willing to do that based on Democratic votes. Because overwhelmingly, every Democrat except for one 
in the entire House voted with Kevin McCarthy for a continuing resolution. And so the idea that it's not their job to have, oh, a couple of dozen people step forward and vote present so that he's not voted out of office, the Republican chaos doesn't necessarily help the Democrats because it doesn't help the country. And frankly, for all these members of Congress, Republican and Democratic, and for the President of the United States, if things in the country are so chaotic, uh, that's, that's going to be difficult to come back from. Hillary Clinton was interviewed by Christiane Amanpour, an old friend of Hillary's, about the McCarthy ouster. Listen. So should the Democrats have saved him, so to speak? Should they have voted to keep him in? You know, that was a very um, uh, tough call for the Democratic caucus. But the problem was for them, as I understand it, he was totally untrustworthy by any measure. Uh, he uh, immediately after they did help him keep the government open, as you know, uh, began to blame them for all kinds of, you know, extraneous matters. And at some point, a leader who has lost all credibility uh, in dealing with the opposition, where you want to have an open line of communication, you want to be able to trust his word, um, is going to, uh, you know, ask for their help and not get it. Okay, and then she was asked very specifically of the prospect of Jim Jordan of Ohio, former wrestling coach, like former Speaker Denny Hastert, by the way, uh, Jim Jordan uh, as Speaker, Hillary Clinton's opinion. The main contenders for his position are Jim Jordan, who you know very well from Benghazi. Oh, I don't know him well. I watched him and, and uh, you know, stared at him for 11 hours while he made stuff up about me. So I don't know him, but I've seen him in action. So what will it mean if he gets the speakership? Well, I mean, he is one of the principal uh, ringleaders of the circus that's been created in the Republican Party for the last several years. Um, I, I have no inside knowledge about what the Republicans will do, who they will end up voting for. But when do they put the country first? They do not represent a majority of even the Republican Party. Uh, when you look at the extremists in the House, they certainly don't represent a majority of the country. And, you know, somebody has to stand up and say enough. You know, we could have disagreements. I'm all for that. I was in the Senate for eight years. I worked with a lot of Republicans and, you know, opposed them when uh, I didn't agree. But at some point, there needs to be a backlash against the control that this small group of extremists have. And I don't know uh, who will lead that, but uh, let's hope uh, whoever becomes the new speaker will. And she has a few hopes for for Jim Jordan. And speaking of Jim Jordan, uh, he uh, in the in the face of a truly appalling devastation in Ukraine with dozens and dozens of civilians killed most recently. Uh, this is a CNN report of what happened in Hrosa, Ukraine. Uh, we will get to that. Uh, we will also get to Jim Jordan's reaction on that idea of continued U.S. support for Ukraine. That and more coming up on The Medved Show. He knows who he is and he knows what he believes. Michael Medved.
Join your champions for free market reform. And on the Michael Medved show, uh, there's some horrifying video that was published all over the news uh, after a deadly Russian missile attack on on uh, civilians. It was no blind strike, said President Zelensky. The uh, entire attack on a village cafe killed at least 51 people in Heroza, Ukraine. Uh, this was the uh, story as covered uh, on CNN. Listen. absolute scene of devastation you can see right behind me if we pan over there that's actually uh, the building that was hit right here the ukrainians are saying that this was both a supermarket and a cafe but as you guys can see there's really not very much uh, that's actually left of it except maybe a bit of the foundation um they were saying, as you guys pointed out, that there was that memorial service going on to uh, a Ukrainian soldier. But they also told us that the people who were at that memorial service were all local people. We asked uh, several times the authorities here, and they said that there was not a single military person inside here. This village is also very small and certainly doesn't appear to have much in the way of military in it. But you can see right here just how big the explosion was that ripped through here. The cleanup crews uh, have been working here, and they said that they managed to obviously recover some bodies from underneath. They managed to recover also a few people who were still alive underneath as well. But the carnage is just absolutely massive. Okay. In the midst of this, uh, Jim Jordan, as part of his campaign to be Speaker of the House, the representative from Ohio, had uh, deep questions about continued U.S. support for Ukraine. Uh, this is clip eight. Why should we be sending American tax dollars to Ukraine when we don't even know what the goal is? No one can tell me what the objective is. Is it, is it some kind of negotiated peace? Is it driving them out of the eastern Ukraine? Is it driving them out of Crimea, which they've had for 10 years now, but they took during the Obama administration? What is the objective? And so until you can tell me the goal, I don't think we should continue to send money there, particularly when we have the problems we have on our border. So that's fundamental. Uh, I just think that's front and center. And then second, how is the money that's already been sent, how, is it, how has it been spent? Right. What kind of waste is going? Those are two fundamental questions that I think the American taxpayers want to know the answers to before they send any more of their hard-earned money there, particularly you're sending money there to protect Ukraine's border when right. we got the situation we have on our border. Okay, any comparison uh, between the United States border and the Russian invasion that has led to the death of at least 150,000 Russians and uh, tens of thousands of Ukrainians, including civilians and women and children, to try to compare those two things seems to me to be tremendously unfair and distasteful. Uh, Chris Christie also talked about uh, continued support for Ukraine. He, of course, is a Republican candidate for president of the United States. This is clip 13. What happens in Ukraine? What What's Zelensky saying when he wakes up this morning, right? What are our allies in Europe saying? Let's remember something. The last time we turned our back on a shooting war in Europe, it cost us half a million American lives ultimately. And I don't understand these people who are making Ukraine this kind of dividing line on this stuff. And it's going to 
hurt our relationships around the world and is going to wind up costing American lives ultimately either in Europe or in Asia. Okay, and uh, he, what he's talking about is if America is uh, unwilling to stand up against evil and the invasion of Ukraine is clearly evil. You talk about what is the goal here. Uh, well, the goal of Vladimir Putin is very clear. It is uh, literally to destroy that country. His initial goal was to decapitate and use that term the regime in Ukraine, one that was chosen overwhelmingly in free elections, were the first free elections, corruption-free elections it had in a long time. Uh, meanwhile, somebody else who has spoken very movingly and effectively about Ukraine and somebody who is more and more in the news right now, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the former governor of California, has a new book coming out. Uh, it's a self-help book called Be Useful, Seven Tools for Life. And frankly, he's one of those names that with the jungle primary, as it's called, going on in California with at least three and probably four major Democratic candidates for U.S. Senate. How about one Republican candidate who might actually win or at least clear into the general election in November, beat the primary? That would be a former Governor Schwarzenegger, the last Republican to win a statewide race in California. He also, you can understand why he won those races and have uh, visions and views that are fascinating of his whole complex life in athletics, as a bodybuilder, uh, in Hollywood, and yes, as governor of the nation's largest state. The new movie on uh, Netflix, Arnold. Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. Arnold Schwarzenegger has had an amazing and complicated life as an athlete, an actor, and an activist and American politician. That story is told in an unforgettable and intimate style in a three-part documentary now streaming on Netflix. It's called Arnold. People will remember my successes, and they will also remember those failures. Why did you give up? My vision didn't talk about giving up. My vision was climbing that mountain. And yes, there are peaks and valleys, and the film does cover some of the more embarrassing aspects of his personal life, but the focus is deeply sympathetic on its subject, who narrates his own story with surprising candor. Some of the footage going back more than 40 years when he first came to Hollywood is just stunning and remarkably edited, with some sympathetic attention to his time as governor of California. It's rated TV mature because of lots of harsh language, three and a half stars, for Arnold and uh, it is a film even if you don't think you like Schwarzenegger at all even if you've never seen a Terminator film uh, I, I think there is a great deal in this movie to recommend it and actually Arnold's voices his uh, comments on the passing scene particularly in terms of confronting and overcoming the danger of Putinism it seems to me is very worthwhile and worth focusing on. Uh, coming up next time on the Medved Show, uh, you may remember that earlier this week, 
we had a FEMA emergency alert test involving our phones and other devices. And fortunately, my wife paid attention, warned me about it, so I wasn't freaked out. But there are lots of people who were. Uh, lots of online conspiracies about what that FEMA emergency alert test really was. We will cover it next time on the Medved Show. Also, on Friday, well, there's a happy Friday message, right? 71% of Americans have no faith uh, in the government to prevent doomsday. Uh, one in four actually believe that there will be a nuclear event or World War III that will ignite Armageddon and apocalypse. Uh, we will talk about that next time on the Medved Show. And also on Friday, uh, Paul Kangor, our uh, guest from Grove City College, uh, asks a good question. Does Robert Francis Kennedy Jr. deserve Secret Service protection? Now, he's not really a candidate for president who has uh, the kind of support that normally would induce that protection. But when you look at his family history and his uh, record uh, as a Kennedy, uh, that is that protection appropriate in his case? We will debate that on Friday. And also a, uh, a prominent author who grew up in a deeply religious home has now rejected that. She says that America doesn't need more God. It needs more atheists we have a lot of atheists and in increasing numbers here anyway we also have increasing movies there's a new movie directed by rebecca miller who's the wife of daniel day lewis and the daughter of arthur miller it's a movie that stars anne hathaway and peter dinklage and marisa tomei about a frustrated composer and a sexy tugboat captain uh, we will be reviewing She Came to Me and more coming up next.